if you start investigating how a neural net actually works from end to end, it is a very long journey with something like Python. I know I'm picking on Python a lot, but it's not apparent what is actually happening in the neural net. You see functions and their calls and everything, but with JavaScript and with BrainJS and GPU.js, the effort was just to keep it in JavaScript and keep it maybe a couple layers of abstraction away from where you're actually using it. So if you ever want to know how it actually works, you can just step a couple layers in, maybe three, and actually see, oh, it's just adding something together or multiplying, uh, etc. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we have Robert Plummer with us. So aside from first being a husband and father and tinkerer of things, you know, Robert was telling me about, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it the potato Tesla coil he's building, uh, summing lots of charge from potatoes and making something amazing. So besides that stuff, Robert is an engineering manager over at iFit. He's also the maintainer of Brains.js and GPU.js, which we're going to be getting into on the podcast today. Welcome, Robert. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah, just jumping right into it, you're the maintainer of these two libraries, GPU.js and Brains.js. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Sure. Uh, can I make a correction, though? Oh, please, yeah. Oh, so it's it's just Brains.js, not, oh, brain not plural. I'm, I'm slipping right into my, uh, when I mined Bitcoin, we had Brains OS. Oh, cool. <laughs> so yeah, Brain JS, no plural, yeah. to be clear. So tell you a little bit about them. Is that what you said? Please, yeah. Like what's what what's the point of them? Why'd you create sure. them? Uh, well, uh, JavaScript has become the most ubiquitous computing language, right? It's, it's everywhere. And um, I think maybe in the early days, a lot of us really hated it. But um, aside from the history of it, it's become a really neat language and very enabling. And uh, Brain.js was an effort to utilize JavaScript and um, make it work with neural nets, machine learning. And GPU.js was an effort to um, accelerate JavaScript, to make it run ridiculously fast and not have to learn anything but just JavaScript. And does this kind of just work on a plethora of platforms? Is are there? I imagine there's a lot of hardware dependency in time going on under the hood. Yeah. Um, I mean, Brain.js, no. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Uh, directly. But when you install it, you'll see you have to install some uh, dependencies for GPU.js. And yeah, so GPU.js is where kind of the rubber meets the road um, to try and accelerate things. Not try, but do. Uh, it translates JavaScript into um, GLSL at this time, uh, like a subset of C++. And, um, and it allows you to, to use your, your GPU to, to accelerate it. So yeah, there's a lot of, of intricacies. It runs in the browser. It runs in Node. Um, well, it, it can run using native code. One of the... So could it run on a mobile platform, potentially? Yes. Amazing. Yes, okay. I might have... Oh, uh, there it is. Uh, Expo. Expo uh, Go. You can even run it on, on there. So uh, stuff that's translated to like machine code, it can be used there. So this is a learning platform. We could really run it anywhere. You can run it natively. You can run in the browser. And natively means we could run on a phone, right? Because we could use it with the Expo framework. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you how do you stumble upon, or I shouldn't say stumble, how do you 
you know, dedicate the time, the unrelenting time that's required to put into a project like this? Like, what, what's your background? Well, I mean, as you stated, I'm kind of a tinkerer. Um, but it's not because I just like to tinker. It's really uh, an effort to understand things. And everything is generally really simple. Um, sophisticated, perhaps, but usually a lot of simple things. And I found that neural nets were not that way. So that was the journey in the beginning. Um, I was told... I need to- and when you say not that way, do you mean they are not inherently simple? No, they're not. Or they um, are? In, in okay. principle, if somebody can tell you, yeah, this is what's going on because it's taking advantage of hardware, etc., or... or um, some sort of acceleration, yeah, then then it's simple at its very finite levels, but it, it's not simple in terms of implementation. Uh, for example, Python is often regarded as uh, a great language for machine learning, but it's not Python that you're actually using. Python is kind of an upper level. In fact, um, NumPy, for example, uses a very similar strategy that GPU.js uses, and takes advantage of uh, C++ or C. I'm not sure which, but I know it's down there somewhere. Um, and is actually kind of like um, you're, you're sort of marionetting uh, a very low-level language so that you can often uh, be successful with neural nets. And so if you start investigating how a neural net actually works from end to end, it is a very long journey with something like Python. I know I'm picking on Python a lot, but it's just, it's not apparent what is actually happening in the neural net. You see functions and their calls and everything, but uh, with JavaScript and with BrainJS and GPUJS, the effort was just to keep it in JavaScript and keep it maybe a couple layers of um, abstraction away from where you're actually using it. So if you ever want to know how it actually works, you can just step a couple layers in, maybe three, and actually see Oh, it's just adding something together or multiplying, uh, et cetera. So you're a managing a engineering manager at iFit. Is anything you do at iFit related to the work that you're putting out for people to use with Brain and with GPU.js? Uh, yes and no. We don't use Brain.js at, at iFit just because we, we don't need it there. Um, a lot of the work that I do for machine learning and, and iFit has to do with like... Um, categorization or, or um, recommendations, which is a very simple algorithm. It just kind of weighs sort of a, uh, a neuron within um, an, a neural net. So we use a, a lot of commercial... Um, commercial like solutions for neural nets that are out there. What's an example of a commercial solution if people... So for example, uh, AWS has uh, several commercial solutions. Um, one of them, if you wanted to go really deep, for example, and run your own neural net, you could use something like SageMaker um, so on AWS Marketplace, we can kind of go and you could spin up a neural net for you to use today, right now, uh, as a product. Would you say a lot of enterprise companies go this route just for the reliability and continuous improvement these nets receive? Yes, yes, I would. I would say the commercial. It, it well, it depends on what levels that you need. You only want to use the right tool for the job, and if you don't need a full fledged neural net or um, a recurrent neural net or something like that, then there's not really, um, you don't want to use the wrong tool for the right job. 
Uh, and so AWS personalized was exactly what we needed and we were very close with them with our platform anyway. And so that was the right fit. But a lot of the key features that I learned with Brain.js and with GPU.js and just how neural nets sort of operate allows us to better use the entire system. Um, one example that we had was a lot of different types of workouts have different metrics. And depending how those metrics are fed into the system, it can alter how data or rather how recommendations are are provided to the end user. And we were finding that um, recommendations were essentially broken at first. And so what we did was we, we took a most median value and put it where, for example, a value was zero for some workouts. And by doing that, the neural net understood that um, that's basically just noise rather than zero. Zero was like, uh, I have no idea what to do. And so the neural net would basically kind of panic. Whereas a median value is just like, oh, there's nothing going on in here. And it just sort of skipped over it. And uh, I don't, it, that would have been a, a really long investigation. I know it sounds very simple, but uh, because neural nets can be finicky, that would have been a long investigation had it not been. Well, it's all a balancing act, right? To sort of like lasso this idea. It's a balancing act and you have to find like where you're not upsetting the center of gravity within your equation. Absolutely. That can be a really challenging thing to do if you don't have a holistic picture of what you're balancing. Yeah. And, and it's funny, too, with neural nets. Um, they generally like values between 0 and 1. That's not just like Brain.js. It's really kind of a, a standard um, because the random values are generally between 0 and 1 that you start a neural net with. So if you feed zeros in, zero is a very special number <laughs> to a neural net. And oftentimes when you feed a 0 in, um, because it's so powerful, when you multiply something by 0, it's 0. And so you have like this flatlining effect. It's really funny uh, that you, you can see with neural nets. Um, and values beyond one, it can take a, a neural net a long time to kind of scale up to that that uh, value and, and beyond. So if you feed values between zero and one, and hopefully they're not exactly zero, then uh, you're you're kind of talking its language. It's almost like you're lassoing the uh, scope of numbers yeah. between zero and one. You know, you're you're defining the space, so you have control over how it's going to operate. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. Um, so. You know, bringing us back to these wonderful pieces of creation that you put out for the world, Brain.js and, and UJS, um, somebody's going to want to check this out and they're going to want to like try to neural net. Like, what's the hello world? Right well, before, before, before I go there, I want to tell kind of a story that got me started in, with neural nets. It was an effort to understand what was going on in Python. Right. I remember you saying you wanted to understand. Yeah. And I started to kind of like look into the layers and I, I got into the, um, like the plugin sort of, if it was comparable to Node, uh, it would be kind of like a, a package. Uh, I got several packages in, and I still wasn't at the code to kind of understand. And I just, I, that, I have attention deficit disorder, um, and I just didn't have the energy to get excited about that. And then I looked at a few JavaScript neural nets, and they were following a similar trend. And then I saw Brain.js. And... I, I looked into the neural net and it was almost like I scrolled right past the feed forward steps. There's, there's three steps inside of a neural net for it to learn. There's feed forward, which is what we generally um, think of as, is it providing a recommendation or some type of prediction? 
there's backpropagation where it's comparing how far off it was. And there's the second step of backpropagation where it's adjusting values. And then it can go again. It can feed forward, backpropagate, backpropagate, and then feed forward again. Or, or um, forward propagate. I'm sorry. Feed forward is a, a type of neural net, whereas forward propagate is, is a step. My bad. But uh, it was so simple. It was literally just a few lines long. I think it was like between 11 and 15 lines long for the feed forward step. And both back propagations were very similar in, in terms of size. And it, it, it just it blew me away. How can it be that simple? And um, that, that's as simple as it was. It, it's, it's not any more complex than that. And so when I saw that, I, I immediately want to get involved, wanted to get involved because I saw uh, maybe there was a few bugs with the project overall. And um, I went to, to go see, you know, what, what the current state was, uh, what was the next release, what was being fixed in it, and there what just wasn't in DeskRec, yeah, BrainJS. So I got, I, and I couldn't find um, anything active. In fact, I found a very long thread of people who were like, hey, why, why aren't you maintaining this anymore? And some people kind of getting um, somewhat flustered, somewhat upset. And um, I kind of ignored that. And I just, I really wanted to focus on problem solving and, and helping. And so I, I forked the project and uh, started fixing some of the issues and just said, hey, guys, let's continue our work over, over there rather than here. And from there, it, uh, it, it's, it turned in, into something bigger. So I'm not the originator of uh, BrainJS. I think some great minds uh, really put a lot of effort to make it uh, amazing. But that was kind of the journey in realizing that BrainJS was the what um, was a really good tool for the job to understand neural nets, and where GPU.js comes in is everybody obviously wants to accelerate neural nets. They're not the fastest thing, especially when you're talking about those two latter steps, the backpropagation steps. And so um, GPU.js was the only project I've ever found that translates JavaScript to low-level machine code. And so you can both understand what the project is trying to do in JavaScript, which it can execute in if, if there's not any acceleration available. And also it can execute in those low-level machine languages. So you, you understand exactly what's going on in JavaScript and you're able to execute in a much faster way. So it's almost like documenting the low-level APIs that are needed to run these things with power and and. and commanding them with the JavaScript interpreter. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I think JavaScript is the, the language of the people these days, like you put it. Uh, uh, not, not verbatim, you said, but something along those lines. And this gives a really great window into how to use neural nets. Like you said, Python has been the language, I'll say, of choice because of PyTorch and, and these really great tools that allow people to spin up quickly. But you know, there's a whole subset of developers that I feel like I meet more developers who actually say I've never touched Python than developers who are like, oh, I'm super into Python. People who are in development are often into JavaScript. You find the Go people, find the Rust people. This is my my very blinded experience here, but I'm, this opens up the language to a lot more people to really get hairy with it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't I don't hate Python. I think there it it bothers me that so many people are like, well, you got to learn Python. Um, it, it's like, here, here's an analogy. Okay. And I'm probably to some degree off. I'm a self-taught engineer. Uh, I didn't go to college. I went to vocational school 
And uh, obviously I had the opportunity to go to college in the time, but I mean, I, I sorted on a, a spreadsheet, the most flexible job with the highest pay and software development was number one. And I was like, great, I'll do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then, like, if you think through the field, uh, it's most of it's open source or a very large part of it's open source, even back then when I was in high school. So the good stuff anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, but I, so I reasoned, so if a college course is going to offer this and I'm not telling anybody not to do college, I'm just trying to get them to think, uh, college courses for programming, uh, it, it means they have got a curriculum and that curriculum is selected at a previous date, right? Then you're taking it which means that the software that you're learning is out of date. So you're learning something that's old. And the languages that we were learning were already uh, essentially ancient, right? My first language was COBOL. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, you're OG. Yeah. Okay. They, I mean, I, what, even then, nobody really spoke it. And uh, I mean, mainframes, right, for like banks and stuff like that. Uh, run run COBOL. I don't know if they were trying to prepare me for that or not, but I mean, it was it was not very helpful, but it was helpful that they got me to kind of understand the principles of, of programming. So similar, for example, in another field, like a lawyer, for example, they tell you, you got to go to college and then you got to go to graduate school to take the bar to be a lawyer. But you can take the bar. Anybody can take the bar. You can just go and so like you could just go and take the bar and fail hypothetically and fail again and fail again and eventually you'll pass and then you'll be a lawyer <laughs> you could just skip you know the college stuff probably not i mean there's probably they probably don't tell you what you got wrong or um or whatever but uh it it, it <laughs> like with javascript and with python if anybody's telling you exactly what you should do there's that principle of uh, one hand clapping right um, weigh it on the other side, you know, uh, think about it from both ends of, of an argument and, um, don't let somebody else think for you. Don't let somebody else think for you. I love hearing that from an AI engineer. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, when you're working on these libraries, are you finding the communities or people that are new into the deep learning space and people that are coming from a similar background as you that are just like, hey, I really want to learn about this. Like, I don't have any training. Mm -hmm. Or is it more like researchers and those types of folks that you're finding? Because I'm sure with the language, you get a certain demographic of folks coming in as well. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that. I, I've, I've seen all of them. Um, those that it, it tends to attract those that are newer to, to JavaScript. Uh, but I, I mean, there are, there are many companies that, that use it. Um, there's a certain company that uses it for uh, listening to brainwaves, which is pretty fantastic. And there's, they know that there's probably better tools to use that are in other languages, but they love JavaScript and their entire ecosystem is built around JavaScript and they followed Brain for a number of years, and they're they're using it. And um, I think that's really respectable. There was a, a um, let's see, I think his name was Pedro. I forget his last name. He used Brain when it was in its early days as well for natural language processing. And I think it's NLP.js is the project. And they utilized at that time all the major names for. Uh, natural language processing. So we had, let's see, it was IBM, uh, Watson. They had Google and Microsoft. 
I forget all three. All well, it was more than that, but Na- BrainJS ended up outperforming them for natural language processing. And I'm not sure if it was to tweak uh, like certain values or or what, but um, it's not an amateur framework. It's something that's been tried and tested. It does have bugs occasionally. I do try to fix those and make sure that the community's happy. Uh, but it's it's for a wide audience. It's it's for those that's that if you want to use it in a commercial space, you can do that. If you want to use it in just understanding what neural nets are, you can do that. It's it's okay either way. If you want to, and I find too, I'm dissatisfied a lot of times with these big corporations pushing their frameworks and, and things on you. You don't necessarily have to do that, especially if you got if you have something like a Jupyter notebook. Jupyter can run Node, you know, just fine. And a lot of the um, algorithms that they they provide you are like these are pre-trained networks or pre-trained algorithms. They use that specific terminology. How can something be pre-trained if it's all your data and it's coming from starting from scratch every time? So it's just a canned response to try and sell something that they are producing, right? If if you if they're just providing you the algorithm to learn your data from scratch, and you have something low level that you can implement, then you should seriously feel comfortable implementing it. What what allows your team to stretch their uh, legs and, and to um, to utilize something that's that's fun that gets them excited in the morning, uh, JavaScript does that for me. I think it's a neat language. TypeScript, uh, for that matter, too, uh, which the entire uh, platform has now been translated into. So, yeah, use something that allows your team to work most efficiently. Don't just think about is this for amateurs. Uh, I think that's again. Don't let somebody else think for you. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of Pod Rocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? weird little component libraries, how to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out, I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. It's slightly unrelated, but on the topic of, um, you know, deploying it yourself, it, if you're able to do that, which is really becoming less and less of a barrier with the great DevOps tooling we're getting, if you have a team that's using those resources, they can actually stretch their legs. Like you aren't, bound, especially when you're getting into NVMe storage, GPU powered compute, you're, you're talking like extremely large bills. And if you can co-locate something and run it yourself, like you have a lot more room to be creative. Um, and you can see teams explode because they can run a staging and, and a pro- production on day one of the startup. 
Yeah, that's that's a definitely important um, point. The big corporations, they do want to sell you something and they're not necessarily bad. They're all capitalists, right? They're, they're trying to make money and we're trying to make money to feed our family. I, I told you at the beginning of our, um, when we greeted that I'm a father and a husband first and uh, I, I do the commercial stuff because I, I need to support my family. Uh, even that is a capitalist mindset, but it's not capitalism first. But a company is really capitalism first. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, it's the definition of a company, pretty much. <laughs> they don't have any necessary, well, maybe hypothetically, they could have like children, like sub companies. Or, the important thing is um, to utilize what allows your team to work best. And if your team is comfortable using Jupyter Notebooks or some sort of equivalent, and then uh, a tool like Python, fine. But if, if they're like into Node and they really appreciate that and um, any, anytime that somebody fights for node, they're, they're fighting to grow an ecosystem because it is relatively young in terms of it being, or rather I should say, um, well, young is a, is a right word. It, it, I wouldn't say immature, but it does need some maturing. <laughs> it's continually maturing, you know, unless you're talking about the creator who just dipped and made Dino, but you know, we're, we're, we're improving. Yeah. It's, it's an opportunity to push your understanding of, of JavaScript. And that's really what you should be doing. You shouldn't just take a canned response, a canned algorithm and just like shove it in and let it kind of do everything for you. I mean, maybe, maybe you could, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, the implementation specific, it depends, but you're encouraging people like break it open, like educate yourself on how it works. And you, brain JS is really well opted for that specifically in the neural net. Yes. I, I I guess my, you're absolutely correct, but I, I think you should know how something works. I mean, in principle, for example, we don't just install node applications or node packages and there could be like a C++, uh, I don't know, uh, system compromising thing in there. Like you should know what it's going to do, right? It's, it's going to sort in a certain way or it provides this specific type of functionality. Know what it's going to do with your data. And, and utilize it uh, for that. It, nothing should ever really be magic uh, to especially engineers. You mentioned earlier that there is a company using BrainJS to actually analyze brain waves, like neural patterns coming from people. And I want to get into this because you noted that BrainJS is a self-taught teaching framework, but you have to give it the inputs about what was right and what was wrong. Uh, supervised learning. So if you were to want to run BrainJS at scale, is thinking about how am I going to orchestrate the supervised learning something that you would think about? Is that included in the framework? For somebody trying to get into this and maybe make a little service just in their basement that's doing something, what are some considerations that they might want to look at? I, I think I think a lot of people think of neural nets as something a lot, whole lot more powerful than they really are. Um, I mean, there are special examples like we have in the news, we hear regularly about Tesla and how their AI drives cars. But if you, I mean, at scale, the, the hardest thing is training a neural net by far, uh, because you're just feeding in massive amounts of data. And even Tesla tri uh, driving is, is really a supervised learning model because 
uh, or it, I, I should say it could be like, I don't know exactly what they're doing. And I don't think they really talk too much about it, but if you had uh, a thousand drivers driving and you fed the results or sorry, the, the video of what they're doing into a neural net, compressed it down until it was easy to process and as well fed in their reactions with the car, the turning of the steering wheel, um, gas brake, what gear they're in. Ultimately that's supervised and now you can drive cars. So the, 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 um, steering and the brake and the, and the gas, those would be your outputs and your input would be video, right? At first they're really all inputs, but you're saying use both of these values differently. One is for rec recognizing what's going on. The, the other is as outputting. So as long as you can have an appropriate, um, system that allows for training. Then after the network is trained, you, you just have the feed forward step or, or the, um, forward propagation, I should say. And that is a whole lot easier by far because it's not all of your training sets of data. It's just one. You're just feeding it in and it's, it's reacting. So it's extremely lightweight to run that comparatively speaking. So I guess I guess we can kind of wrap this up into saying if you want to run this, you know, supervised learning, you need to think of a way to collect your input data and you need to think of a way to store that input data and feed those parameters in. So if in the case of Tesla, they can use all the sensors and cameras around the car and make it make a vectorized data set and feed it in for every delta T. And then they have God knows what <laughs> steering input, what side, what side of your butt you're leaning on more when you go around the turn. Like I don't know what they collect, but they probably yeah. collect that somehow. Um, but it's going to depend on your situation. The end goal, the the end requirement is you need to figure out what inputs you're going to give and how you're going to system systemize that and how you're going to systemize the uh, the actual thing it's going to propagate on that you'd feed forward through. I I agree with that. Okay. I just trying to wrap it up into like two kind of what does this framework do if people want to try it out and what what doesn't it do? So people need to think about how they're going to prepare their data sets and how they're going to feed in this training data. It's part of it. Yeah, I, I can give you an example of maybe a more simple model. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't advise anybody to do this, but you can. Um, a lot of people want to predict the weather, right? Uh, so the simplest probably way to do that is collect uh, temperatures, right? Like temperatures for the whole year, for every, every day. Um, and the, the thing I wouldn't recommend is, uh, similar, but, uh, stock market prices to predict, you know, where the stock market's going. Um, again, please don't do this. <laughs> maybe, maybe for just hypothetically kind of understanding, but, um, trying, I mean, it, it truly is like kind of random. Um, but I had somebody trying to do the stock market thing, uh, and I tried, I tried to kind of equate it to weather, uh, so that I, <laughs> so I didn't try to mislead anybody or anything like that. But if you, if you take, uh, stock market prices, just like weather, uh, or, or temperatures rather, and, um, feed them into the neural net as one long thing for the entire year, this would be a recurrent neural net. Your, your model's going to memorize that year and it's always going to, that's what they call overfitting, uh, 
it's always going to know what's going to come next. So it's going to look like amazing at first until you feed it in the next year. And it's going to not know what is going on because it's stupid <laughs> for the next year, right? It, it only knows this year. It doesn't know any other year. But if you slice that data into smaller subsets, like say three days or four days or five days at a time, this is a situation, a trend, you know, now you've got something that's reusable multiple years. And if you take multiple years of data and feed that in uh, and then do something like uh, cross-validate. So if you want to do something like cross-validate, which is slicing even the data, large sets of data into smaller subsets of data and then validating each section of data against other sections of data and you find the most uh, well-trained model or well-trained uh, data set, rather, uh, you can do some really powerful stuff because you found, you've trained several neural nets on something that um, that's learnable, right? These little smaller patterns. And now you've gotten the best of the best of all of those, uh, comparatively speaking. And so you really can't do things like predict the weather uh, with some accuracy, I mean, for example, you're not going to have 30 degree days, at least here in Indiana, um, during the blistering hot summer. You know, it's going to understand that it doesn't go, it doesn't work like that. Um, so with some level of accuracy, but again, please don't use it for stock market analysis or stock market. Don't use it to try and make money on the stock market. I don't want to be responsible for loss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not financial advice. <laughs> I, I think the end takeaway here is that... Um, there's a whole like sense of data engineering that goes into how you're preparing your training sets. And, and, you know, what is the meaning behind how we're bucketizing this and what are the time periods? Because ultimately the neural net's looking for diffs between patterns and that's how it's able to generalize. So there's a lot of thought and that can get highly complex. Like we're talking, bringing us back to the Tesla example, like a steering wheel, like I'm sure depending what degree of movement you are on the axis, it has different like neural like human neural stimulation behind it it's like a we're logarithmic creatures we think in logarithms so there might it's not a linear like a 75 percent to 100 percent turns different than a zero to 25 percent well you can divvy that data set up in 100 ways i'm sure so there's a lot of thought that goes into and you really have to <laughs> yeah you, you wouldn't want to feed for example crash data probably <laughs> right <laughs> right you know, into into a neural net because it, it would understand you know okay this is what we do and we just panic and then you slam into a semi or something like that and uh, die a very hor horrendous death. Uh, you would want to be selective in driving and putting successful data into your neural net. So it's it's a very much um, garbage in, garbage out, uh, or you know, gold, gold in, gold out, uh, or or treasure in, treasure out. What will be in the opposite of, of garbage? <laughs> <laughs> I like garbage. Garbage works. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it kind of it's a two-sided coin you know garbage and garbage out you don't want garbage um feed it feed it good stuff and um and you go from there and i find oftentimes when the neural net is not working for you most of the time it probably will not be working for you and i'm not talking about brain i'm just talking about algorithmically speaking because you haven't found what you're looking for and that's okay because you're identifying what you shouldn't be looking for every time you you iterate uh, and, and you don't find the trends that you're looking for with neural nets, or if maybe it's not learning, right? Uh, the neural net doesn't, you've not given it enough data. An example of that is like uh, date. 
like what is a date to a neural net? It does not know what what a date is. It's you know, no. It, well, there's no beginning and there's no end, so there there's no bounds on on a date. You're just talking about milliseconds from zero milliseconds. I'm not talking about like nineteen. Is it seventy? Oh yeah, seventy nine. Is it? Is it okay? I'm not, well, I'm not you, <laughs> you have to think of it more like beginning of time till now, and then often so that's the median is now and then or, or some we we think or we hope um and then the upper bounds is the the um the entire universe uh, exploding or something or collapsing or whatever it does so that that's in, it's so it's so it would be really hard to feed that in between zero and one <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know? but if you give it like a time of day like at at uh, 10 o'clock this happened or at 12 o'clock now you've got a 24 hour span that you can compress down into between zero and one, and that's digestible. So if it's not, if it's not working for you, don't give up and be like, okay, this, this project is just, uh, it's not written correctly because it's not working. Think about your data and how you're feeding it in. And, um, a lot of times you're just not looking for the right thing, but when you find it, I'm telling you, there's such a euphoric feeling because now you have a machine working for you, bending to your, your will. It's the biggest hammer you can think of, or, or the most articulate uh, means of milling or machining. You know, if you were to put it in like modern terms or, or uh, physical terms, uh, and you found success with it, that's amazing. And all within JavaScript. That is like, a most the most beautiful closer we've had in like a while because we're running up on time, Robert, and like we couldn't have let out with a better thing. If if people want to learn more about what you're working on, of course they can go to the Brain JS repo, the GPU JS repo. Mm-hmm. Are you on a social anywhere? Do you do you write or blog anywhere where people can follow you? I mean, every once in a while, it's not something I'm I'm regularly doing. I I'm honestly just trying to. Uh, to, to answer your question, no. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, my my life right now doesn't allow for that uh, much free time. I'm I just got a, a fix in for BrainJS yesterday. That was pretty good accomplishment. I hope to spend more time with it in the future and uh, working on things like uh, unsupervised training. That would be really neat, especially like in TypeScript and in JavaScript to be able to kind of understand where everything's going. But um, Occasionally, you'll you'll see me on Twitter. It's uh, Robert L. Plummer, and one string, Robert L. Plummer. Yeah, with two M's. No fancy gotcha. uh, disco name or simple as people are going to remember it. Robert L. Plummer. All right, Robert. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time hopping on and really musing on deep things, deep learning with us. I'm sure this is going to inspire some people to like put their hand in the cookie jar. Well said. Thanks for your time. This is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. 
So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.